it's good to have you all here. We're uh, looking forward to uh, an interest, finishing up chapter two, uh, at least the, the middle of the chapter. If we get lucky, we'll actually get the rest of it. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll assume that luck doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, I thought what we would do is, is uh, last, week we, last week we built the house of, from uh, chapter 2, verses uh, uh, 12 through 18. I thought maybe this, this week we'd finish with the, uh, with the deck uh, in the back and uh, figure out how to put, apply all this and make it practical in our lives and see how we can uh, make good use of what we've studied and then if we have time, we'll, we'll get into uh, uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 19 through, through 30. But I thought in order to do this, maybe what we should do is just read the whole chapter. Um, Denny's going to have, the you guys in the, this first table here are going to have the first the first few verses memorized, I know. You're, you sometimes wonder if, 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 if I do that on purpose. There, there's, a, there's, rhyme, there's a reason to my rhyme, right? Um, you know what? We can just read through eighteen, and then and then um, if, if we get into the rest of it, we'll just we'll we'll pick up the rest of it afterwards. Yeah, this is kind of deja vu. Yeah, very very much so. So we're uh, we're going to be reading Philippians chapter two, uh, verses one through eighteen, and and some of you actually have this memorized, I'm sure by now, especially if you're in the front of the of the chapter. Uh, Let's start with a word of prayer, though. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the way that your word is uh, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We realize that uh, it uh, can point out and pierce even the toughest of hearts. So we pray today that you would open us up to what you have for us and you would guide and direct us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Denny's table, John's table, <laughs> that table, <laughs> the, to the troublemakers there, and uh, <laughs> Mike's table and then uh, Tom's table and ours. <clears throat> Nope, keep going. Yep. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
Okay. <clears throat> so here's the question. <clears throat> what is, if, if I was to ask you what was the key uh, principle that we learned from this passage today, what is the key thing that, that Paul is, is writing about and that we can glean from this? Caring for others. Caring for others? Good. What else? Okay, good. What else? Blameless. Blameless, okay. What else? Light bearers. Light bearers, all right. Obedience. Obedience, good. Copycats. Copycats, okay, all right. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything else? Attitude. I'm sorry? Attitude. Attitude, yeah. Yeah, let this attitude. So we're talking about, if we boil all this down together, we're talking about being, Mike kind of started it off with this when he said, you know, caring for others and being thoughtful about others. It's the idea of unity. Is there unity in the church today? It may depend on the church we're talking about. Are we talking about the local church or are we talking about the church, you know, the at, at large, the universal church? Not how I like it. Not how you what? Not how you like it. It's not as unified as you'd, you'd like it. Yeah. I, I I would agree. It's one of the the tough things we have with church, isn't it? But I think one of the primary points is uh, the emphasis on unity within the congregation. Now, <clears throat> that means that selflessness needs to be put away. It means caring for others becomes important. It means uh, being self-sacrificing is important. Uh, and, and then, of course, he uses, of all things, he uses Christ as the primary example. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time living up to that. Uh, that's a great goal, but I, you know, I have to admit that that's one I have a hard time coming close to even getting there. And yet that's what we're told to do. And in addition to that, we're told that Paul says, well, then, you know, not only Christ, but follow my example as I follow Christ. So the idea of, uh, is that Paul is asking the Philippians to stand in, in unity, uh, not only with each other, but also with, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, with, as though Israel was involved as well. Remember, Israel is condemned for what? For grumbling for being disunified. And the result of that happens in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. That's not a fun thing, just saying, personally. And, and so Paul gives himself, in verses 12 through 18 here, he gives himself as the model for the Philippians to follow. And he mentions this throughout the whole passage, the whole book. But I think that the thing that becomes interesting is that there is there was a a, a group, there was a a person who promoted a a type of um, uh, of uh, um, what became known as a, as a, a, a heresy, and it was Pelagius, who in the late fourth century, early fifth century. Uh, emerged, and as a result of that, his thought process has permeated the church from time to time throughout history. Uh, today, we would say that the danger of, of, of his uh, type of understanding is uh, quietism. Anybody know what quietism is? Okay. Not speaking out. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of, yeah. But it, it, in general, the, the, the overall... Uh, meaning of this is a system of religious mysticism that teaches about perfection and spiritual peace are attained by annihilation or in this particular case for Christianity uh, to, uh, to uh, put ourselves down and to absorb and contemplate uh, God and, and his wisdom. It has the idea of passivity uh, that's infused uh, in uh, it, it awaits for. I don't want to get too far afield here and, and, and get into an area that that's. It has the potential <clears throat> of becoming uh, that second work of grace 
where we wait to do anything until the second work of grace comes. There are, there are certain, parts of, certain parts of the Christian family that believe that, uh, um, that once you're baptized, that there is another, another thing that happens to you at a point in your life uh, where you have a second work of grace. Um, Methodism was one of the groups that, that practiced this. And, it, and in and of itself, it's okay to have a second you know, we're told to be filled with the Spirit, but we're told to be continually filled with the Spirit. The, the, what happens is, <coughs> what happened, and this comes from the Second Great Awakening in America, was that there were groups of people that said, we're not going to do anything until, uh, until such time that the, the Holy Spirit comes in and does a second work of grace, and then I can be near perfect in the way I live my Christianity. And yet, that seems to go, and, and again, the, high, the whole concept of a second work of grace, I don't want to say that it's wrong, uh, but it can be misused if you wait for it to come upon you and say, okay, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to be bothered by being, a, a, a poor, uh, being involved in the Christian life and working on my salvation until such time that I get a second work of grace. Um, <clears throat> that becomes a problem. Well, how do you determine that? Well, I think the way you determine it is, are you sitting around waiting or are you actively involved in attempting to work out your salvation? What that Remember the, perp, the, the point of the passage? We're to work out our salvation, but the result of that is a play on words in the Greek because it says in the, in the, the verse after that, that it says that it's God who works in you and the result of God working in you is that you work out your salvation. So the point is, are you busy doing something, you know, in, in attempting to, to learn the Christian life and live the Christian life uh, now, or are you waiting for God to do some miraculous work in your life and then you're going to get started? You know, it's like, well, you know, once God, once God does this in my life, then I'll serve him. Yeah, it isn't so much. Well, there it, it has been practiced at times in, incorrectly. Let's put it that way. And um, and it if if we as a as individuals or even as a group say we're going to wait until God moves, sometimes there there is a need sometimes to wait for God to indicate what our His will is. But, you know, the problem with that is, is so often we're going to say, well, we're going to wait until God indicates what his will is, so we're not going to do anything. Do, do you have any idea what you're supposed to do now? Just asking. Has God, has God made it clear that there's some things we need to do? And if we're not doing it, why aren't we? You know, wh why would we expect? I'm always surprised when, <clears throat> when people say, well, I'm, I need to know what God's will is. Well, are you doing what you already know God's will is? And then if you're not, why would you expect God to reveal more of his will to you until you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? It's the process of doing what God wants you to do that God reveals the next step. It's by taking a step. You know, when, when um, uh, in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And uh, for those of you who have been to the Holy Land, you'll remember that the little tiny lamp that, they, that you can pick up and it was popular, that, okay, that thing puts out enough light for, in the darkness for you to take a step forward, maybe two. And until you do that, you can't see beyond that. You can only see enough for the, the immediate first step or two you have to take. And as you take those steps, what happens? You see the next step or two you have to take. So if you're sitting there waiting for God to reveal his perfect plan for you, well, you're in for a surprise because it ain't going to happen that way. You know, we'll be waiting forever. <clears throat> so God wants us to work out our salvation uh, <coughs> uh, even, uh, even as he is working within us. It, it, seems that, it seems so simple 
that we're called to work hard, to work diligently, to do everything that God wants us to do to promote unity. And the result of that is that when that happens, we do so in humility and we think of others more important than ourselves. Have you noticed, have you ever noticed that when there is a, <clears throat> when there is a, when there's dissension between two groups, uh, between two individuals or between two uh, uh factions within the church that each faction has to be right and has to has to win I, I have to win my point is so important I have to win now if it's a matter of theology if it's a matter of theology then yeah we don't compromise on theology but we have to decide is this a is this a, a, an area that we don't compromise on, or is it an area we do compromise on? Tom, you got something well, you want to bring? reminds me of King Solomon. When he prayed to God, he asked for wisdom. Yeah, yeah. He didn't ask for wealth, did he? No, he asked wisdom. He asked for wisdom. Yeah. Sometimes getting wisdom is really uh, something we... we <laughs> if any of you lack of wisdom, let them ask of God. When was the last time we asked for wisdom? Just saying. Uh, yesterday. yesterday. Good for you. <laughs> so we, God wants us to strive for unity. And when we've done everything that was possible we're supposed to do, if we've done everything that God commanded us to do, we're still supposed to say, according to Luke 17, verse uh, 10, we are unworthy servants. Because we've only done what we were asked to do or what we were told to do. Think about that. That's Jesus telling us that when we've done everything we're supposed to do, we're still supposed to say we're unworthy because we've only done what was expected of us. And we only manage to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the power of ourselves. When we, through the power of ourselves, yeah, that's no, not going to happen so well. <clears throat> so, uh, our... As we pursue our efforts to stand blameless and pure uh, before God in the day of Christ, we should neither passively await for, uh, for some uh, humanly discernible uh, prior movement of God's spirit within us, nor should we think that once we have obeyed that God owes us something. You know, God, you owe me something because I did what you asked me to do. Really? Really? I did what you asked me to do. I did what you told me to do. Therefore, you owe me. Does that sound like a kid? Does that sound like you, maybe some of your kids? Sounds like one or two of mine. Well, I did what you told me to do. I need, I, I deserve what? What do you deserve? Yeah. So my point is that to do certain things, that means ideally you're going to that joy. Yes. So if you take away all the other, that's what you're supposed to do. Another thing, too, I was thinking about, too, that going back, looking at Adam and Christ, because he always talks about the two. Yep. And Adam basically did everything out of his nature, but the point, too, is that Adam loved his wife so much that he chose to. Yes. Yeah, which which is both you know a positive and a negative because you know you see, you're saying he chose his wife, which is awesome. That's great. But think about this: what did he reject? God. He could just said the dumb with a new wife. Okay, that's your problem. Okay, that's your problem. <laughs>
Yeah, and there is a sense to which that is, a, you know, do we love our, our spouse enough to take care of her, to love her like Christ loves the church? Are we willing to die for her? So you have to have the love of God to do that. Yeah, that's right. So <clears throat> the, the, let's, yeah, with the, we, we may get through all. No, no. I just just uh, thinking here about uh, the contemporary uh, uh, significance of this in the church today. Uh, I'm reminded of the last. You know, we always we always refer to uh, our Father, the prayer our Father, as the Lord's prayer. Really, it's the prayer that He gave as an example to the disciples. It might be better to say it's it's the disciples' prayer. There is another prayer that Jesus prayed that was really his prayer, and it's found in John 17. I won't take you through the whole passage, but when I was in high school, and I can't do it now, but when I was in high school, I had to learn John 17 as part of my uh, Bible course that I was taking. I had to learn the entire chapter and recite it by... But if you look at, at John 17 and verses... 20 and I'm going to start like in the middle of 20 and through verse 23. This is what Jesus is praying for and asking. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's the message of the disciples, his followers, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And if that's not a condemnation of us as the church, as the bride, I don't know what it is because there isn't a lot of unity. Uh, there are times when we need to separate from those who are incorrect theologically. But there are times, and I've shown you on the board before, that it's the core of Christianity that's important. The rest of it is not as important. And so when we start separating over the color of carpet in our church, or let's get you know, a little more... Uh, let's get a little more uh, theologically correct and say we're going to argue over how we should say the word hallelujah or alleluia. That's a good thing to split over, right? Or, or we should, or, or perhaps uh, we ought to argue about, you know, what's the proper way of baptizing or what happens when we take communion. Are those things as important as the unity of Christ? Can we find a... Denny talked last week and he's talked a couple of weeks, this has really had an impact on him, I know, that there was a group that went to spend time at a, a nobleman's uh, land, and they built a community there, and there was infighting between the Protestants over what they should or shouldn't believe in, and the disunity that they had. They started a prayer meeting there that lasted for 100 years. People were praying round the clock. Think about this. People were praying round the clock for 100 years, 24-7, 365 for times 100. And out of that came a movement called the Moravian Movement that blew the doors off the whole idea of, of missions. They were the, some of the first missionaries that traveled from Europe over here to America to reach the Native Americans. They influenced uh, on a couple of guys that some of you might have heard of, John and Charles Wesley. They, John and Charles Wesley met a couple of Moravians, a group of Moravians, on the trip from England to America and were influenced so much by them that it changed the aspect of, of some of the concepts that they had of the mission movement that they created when they, when they started Methodism. This is, this is what happens when people find unity. They find unity, and where is it that we can agree? We can disagree, that's fine. But where do we find unity? Too often, <clears throat> the church uh, fails to show the world concrete expressions of unity, 
And so they obscure the most important witness that we have, which is the witness of the gospel. By this show all men know you're my disciples if you're at war with one another. Right? Oh, it isn't? I could have sworn it's what it says because that's what we practice too often. So among large ecclesiastical bodies, invisible unity of the church is often compromised by attempts to protect the status quo. The loss of members means the loss of revenue, and unfortunately for some church leaders, the loss of self-esteem. The result is that when members of one church leave and join another, accusations fly and cracks in the visible unity of the church widen. Sometimes, of course, legitimate concerns over the spiritual health of those who have left come into play. Have they left in anger? Are they producing cracks in their own fellowship that they've left, or the fellowship they left behind? Have they left a Christian community where the apostolic gospel is preached to join a, a, a deviant group whose gospel is really no gospel at all? Sometimes the temptation of the older congregations and the more established churches is to enter into a sophisticated form of name-calling of those that left. And, and, and the problem is with the breakaway churches, often they provide easy answers to complex questions. They want to provide sound bites, where sometimes sound bites aren't enough. I was to ask you to come up with an expression to, to talk about the Trinity. How well could we do in a soundbite? And would it make sense? Or would people be able to pick it apart? What about, what, what about the virgin birth? What about the, the inspiration of the scripture? What about anything else you can throw out there? Sometimes you can't give simple answers to complex questions. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes perseverance. It takes digging. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Sometimes when these things happen and there's separation or there's friction between two groups, Usually what happens is the, those that are on the extreme make the most noise and they cause the biggest division because they make you f split. There are those that are, that are in uh, political parties that do that as well. During the primaries, what happens? Everyone runs to the extreme right or the extreme left only to try to come back to the middle in the general election to win. <clears throat> Why? Because we go to our base. We go to where, you know, the radicals. Because if we don't have the, the problem is that God doesn't want us to go to the radicals. He wants us to find common ground, to find unity where unity is necessary. Where unity is not necessary, we're to do what? Fight. Find common ground, and if we did, and if we agree to disagree, is that okay? Yeah, we have that in this group. We have people that are, that are on on all sorts of different ways and, and understandings of Scripture. It's okay. Yeah, you. I see. You, I see the wheels spinning there, Keith. <laughs> Yeah. It's a great paradox, isn't it? That's the common ground. Yeah, that's the common ground. <laughs> the common ground is disagree to disagree. Well, there are, yeah, there are areas, there are areas, as an example, when I was, when I was pastoring, let me just give you an example. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I've said this before. I probably have. In fact, I probably said it a lot. So, <laughs> I never, I never repeat myself. I know. Uh, that's, that's the beauty of, of being me. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, I was the new preacher in town and we were having a, uh, an ecumenical service, you know, a service of all the churches getting together to, and so I was asked to speak and usually they had, they had three times a year they had services. They had service, uh, a combined service of all the churches in town for Christmas, they had one for Easter, 
And then they had another one, and that was the, and being the new kid in town, I got shoved into that one, and that was on you. No, well, you think that yeah, that'd been great if it had, but no, it was on it was on uh, unity of, of the church, and I'm go, and coming together in, in an ecumenical service, and I'm going, oh, this is bad, you know how we're and so I being a new, you know the new kid, I'm saying, so what do we do, and how do we do this, and what. What do we practice? Do, do, you know, I can't imagine, do we, we, we don't baptize together? No. We don't do communion together? Do, no. Because there, there are all sorts of different stripes of people with, a, you know what we did? We worshiped together in unity. You know what I spoke on? First Corinthians, the unity of the loaf. <laughs> that, and, and the unity of the body, that there are many parts of the body, but what? All one body. And you can't have a full body if you don't have mirrored images. Think about it. If you had, you know, let's say that you're a church and you're saying, God, you know, I need, we have a left foot. And so we need, we need a right foot. Oh, God, please send us a right foot so we can be complete as a church. And so God in his infinite wisdom provides you the right foot. And you get it, and you go, you know what? It's exactly opposite of my left foot. I hate the right foot. I can't stand the right foot. If possible, Lord, you need to remove the right foot and give me another left foot because that's what we really need. And so God in his infinite wisdom decides, you know what? I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for, and I'm going to give you two left feet. And as a result of that, they became the church that could never dance. <laughs> Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because I wanted to point out how silly it is when we ask. Did you use that in your message? Yeah. I was never asked to speak again. What can I say? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. And move on. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about in the book is interesting. God, ultimate wisdom. This is the simplest instructions you could give us. Wow. Because we have to deal with something we can understand. Yeah. This is Just, simple. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm always reminded of the fact that, you know, was it string theory says how many different dimensions, 11, something like that, 11 possible different dimensions, and I can have a hard time handling three or four. Can you imagine God who is infinitely beyond even that, trying to provide for us something that we can understand in a way that we can understand it, and so he gives us the scripture, and I'm still struggling with that, which doesn't say a whole lot about it about my ability to understand, but it does say a whole lot about who God is and how he provides for us. He's given us everything we need to know, not everything we necessarily want to know. You know? I still, uh, I, I may have mentioned this before, probably, but when we were in, when we were in Sicily, the, yeah. the unity that I experienced there was seemingly the greatest unity, uh, or something I hadn't experienced before. Oh, yeah. Brought us up front, introduced us. Everybody in the congregation came up and shook our hand and welcomed us. I mean, there was a unity there that uh, that really spoke to me. You know? it, it, was, it was unique to me. So often we walk into church buildings, do you ever feel like you're not welcome, especially if you go to a, a new one? Yeah, sometimes it's, it's um, go ahead. I'm always amazed at how, I, if, when I was teaching <clears throat> at college, I, I would 
Uh, one of the things I would require uh, my students to go, <laughs> one of the courses that we, I taught, was that they had to go to another church outside of their denomination. And in some cases, I asked them to go to, uh, to visit. And then to visit, uh, a, to visit another, uh, another religion's service as well for another, for another class. Why? Because I wanted them to understand what it's like to walk through a door that you don't know what's going to happen. So you get a feeling for what it is when people come and you invite them to your church, do they feel welcome? If they don't, what can you do to help them? And, and how can you reach them? Maybe you have to reach them outside of coming to your church. Maybe that's how you reach them. Because so often we want to we want to bring them to the church so the pastor can preach to them so they can get saved. Well, what happened to you being able to present the gospel to them? Just asking. All right, we're we're far afield. <laughs> so, does visible unity have to only be just among? large congregation between between churches or should there also be visible unity between individuals what if we disagree with somebody can we be respectful can we be uh, verbally abusive or can we accept them can we find some way of saying I might not I might not appreciate what you're doing but I still love you in the Lord. I used to find it absolutely fascinating. I was in one church that I was pastoring in. And uh, <clears throat> the very first time I, we had a congregational meeting, I was blown away. I was so concerned because there was a lot of arguments about things in the budget. And it was very verbal. And it got very loud. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to be witnessing a church split. And after the, after the meeting, after the prayer, though the people that were disagreeing the most all went out for dessert together. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think I've... I was in one, one time, I'm, I'm sitting in somebody's house, and we're staying there for the night with Giuseppe and I, and uh, <clears throat> there's a whole group of folks coming over for eating. They're all part of the family except for us. And so there's a mother, a daughter, and uh, the mother's sister, so an aunt, right? And they're setting the table for dinner. And it starts... The, the, the level of speaking is not here. It's up here to begin with, you know? And they're talking about whatever they're going to be talking about and where they're going to put the plates and what goes where. And, and the next thing I know, it goes crazy. And I mean, the arms are flying and, the, and, it, and it's almost, you know, they're, they're, their eyes are bulging and it's like, oh my goodness. And then it just stops. And they're all back together again, fine. And I'm going, holy smokes. I don't even know what to do with this. I was ready to go find a place, a, a foxhole to crawl into. I thought for sure blows were coming, you know. And it was like they just got through it and that was it. So, yeah, I don't know if that was just, if that's normal or not, but apparently it was for them. And they and didn't think anything of it. That was just normal. We saw that event in Juba, actually. We saw it where? We a building in Juba. Yeah, we like did. Small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially, yeah. So God wants us to do this. God wants us to examine ourselves, test ourselves. Do we realize that Christ Jesus is in me and he's in you and you and you and you and you and you? And you? Do, do we recognize that Christ is in that, in, in our brother and sister? Sometimes. Yeah, only if they agree. Yeah, Tom, Tom has a good Tom has a, yeah. Okay, so we're, going, we're starting over again. <laughs> we're never going to get through these passages. 
Now, does that mean that he didn't speak the truth to them? No. Remember in Athens? He looks around and goes, oh, you got an altar to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you who the unknown God is. I know him. You know, let me introduce you. What a great way of kicking off a discussion. Finding a common ground and then using it. Do you know how often I, when I get in those kind of situations, I pray, oh, God, please find, help me find something because I have no idea how I relate to this person. You know, there's some people I just have no, I think to myself, I have no common ground. I can't imagine what in the world am I going to say. Then I usually stick my foot in my mouth, and that usually kind of sets everything on the right level, and they start laughing at me. When, when Paul says, you know, being like-minded, I don't think it means that we have to all think the same thing. Because, because it goes on, it kind of just qualifies it to the next phrase. Having the same love. Yeah. One in spirit and purpose. Yeah. You don't have to agree with exactly. And when we start to catch that and we allow for differences within the church, we actually end up becoming a stronger church. Mm-hmm. Looks like diversity. Yeah. Stronger. Yeah. I, I have been. I, I have been learning a lot about that lately. It seems like I've been realizing that there's a lot I don't understand about a lot of different cultures. And, and you know, I, I think that I have it all nailed down, and then I realize that I really don't. I have no idea about how other people resolve. You know, <clears throat> uh, Bonhoeffer had a, an interesting quote. He, saw, he said that self-justification and judging belong together. Self-justification and judging belong together, just as justification by grace and serving belong together. Wow. I'm justified by the grace of God, and the result of that is I serve one another. I will tell you perhaps the most difficult thing that, I, that, that we encountered um, <clears throat> is when we were in Israel, James, I know you were in a, in a, in a, with a different group that went there. But one of the things that I found hard for me to, to figure out where I stand on this is that um, as an evangelical and as a particular type of evangelical, I, I'm, uh, I believe that God is not done with Israel and that Israel would return to uh, the promised land and would restart a nation and, and all of these things would happen. And so there's a certain amount of joy in my heart as a result of that happening after World War II. On the other hand, there were a great number of people that were um, displaced as a result of that. In some cases, with good reason, in some cases, without good reason. And the thing that I think that that I came to realize when I visited the Holy Land and we spent time with Palestinian Christians is how little we've thought about them. How little we have considered the fact that some of them have lived there for hundreds of and their families maybe even for thousands of years and have been displaced. And they look to believers in America, I mean, especially evangelical believers, and they go, did you forget about us? What, what about us? Don't you care for us? And I thought, again, blind eyes. You know, blinders on, all I'm seeing is the what I think is the fulfillment or the potential fulfillment of what might be a prophecy and, and totally ignoring that there are people that are hurting as a result of what I, I'm rejoicing over. And I need to, to, I need to acknowledge that they have issues and they have concerns. And, 
don't know the right, I don't know the right answer. I wish I did. Well, yeah. Foggy destroyed the records were, um, most of the records were destroyed, but the other part was because many of them were really just coming back to the, to the land. Yeah. And they, they hadn't been in the land for hundreds of years. Yeah. And other people were there for generations and they were, and they were suffering the most. That now, was very hard. Yeah. And again, there is no. I wish there was an easy answer on this, but yeah. I pointed it out only t at the end of, of today because I want you to realize that there are struggles and there are going to be times when we look at things and we're going, there's just inequity in this world. You know, and yet as a believer, we need to be reaching out to those that are hurting, whether they believe like we do or not. Many of the Palestinians that are that are Christians come from an ancient understanding of Christianity that the Protestants just don't appreciate and understand. But we might be surprised at who ends up in heaven and and go. What are you doing here? You know, I can't imagine that. Now, I realize that, you know, my particular group of Christians are, are going to have their own separate area, and they're going to be very surprised when, and, and we don't sit in the front row. We're back row people, too. So in the great, you know, congregation, we've got assigned seats in the back. I already know that. You know. Can't say the rest of you guys are going to be down front. Sorry about that. You're going to be in the, you know, in the spitting area. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yet God calls us, this book is a book of relationships. God wants to have a relationship with you. And here's the, the, the beautiful thing, he pursues you. We don't go pursuing him. It's the only quote-unquote religion, and I hesitate to use that word, because I. but, but it's the only one that, that God pursues us. We don't go pursuing after God's. What a great God we serve. What, a, what, a, what an interesting time we live in. Christianity today, Christians today need to make sure that we support policies uh, that are not based upon the notion that it's the government and citizens somehow co constitute God's covenant people. God's people in the <laughs> land of Israel are those who, whether Jew or Arab or, or Gentile, or neither believe that the Messiah is Jesus. That's who God's people are. And I believe we need to stand with people that believe like us, but I also know that there are times when governments are just wrong. It doesn't matter whether it's my government or somebody else's government. And we need to realize that there are times we need to take stands based upon what Scripture says, not upon what our politicians tell us. Our politicians are looking to get elected nine times out of ten. They have an agenda, and usually their agenda is not necessarily biblical.
although they might wrap themselves in the Bible occasionally or in some other religious book, and occasionally they'll wrap themselves in, in an American flag. Although there are those that are saying, no, we don't want the American flag in our debates you know, because we don't want to show the, we don't want to offend the people that we're attempting to get to vote for us. I'm going, huh? I thought we were all Americans, but anyhow, maybe your America is different than mine. Well, <clears throat> how are we doing here? We're, yeah, we almost made it. We actually made it through this particular passage, but I'm going to just, I just want to start down the road the next couple of minutes and say this. So we have an example that Paul tells us our example should be Christ. I have a hard time with that one, don't you? I mean, I can't live up to that. I can't even come close. Then, you know, well, you know, then, then follow me as I follow Christ. That's Paul. How many of you think that, you know, you you can come even close to where Paul's at? Yeah, I know I can't. I'm not even close. You know, so I, this last passage in chapter 2 is kind of interesting because he says, well, okay, you know, and just in case you have a problem, you know, relating to I can't be like Christ, I can never live up to Christ, I can never live up to who Paul is, well, then he throws out two more, and those two are going to be Timothy and Epaphroditus. And those are the last two we'll be looking at in the in the, the next week that we get here, is that we're going to be looking at Timothy and the example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus as we uh, finish up chapter 2. So that's going to be next week. I won't go too far down that road, but it is kind of an interesting thing that God says, okay, you know what? Let's check the net. Let's check the, the, the young guys. And interestingly enough, they were involved as much as Paul was in this. And Timothy is one of Paul's progenies. You know, it's one of his, the guys that he said he trained and he turned loose on the church and he, and, and, and so Timothy you know, we, we read that Paul says to Timothy, find faithful men and train them to be faithful men like you. So the next generation is, is Timothy. Timothy's, a, you know, if there is a, such a thing as a second generation Christian, which theoretically there isn't because you have, each of us has to make a decision for Christ, but second generation in the idea of being trained by someone in front of you, before you. And Timothy becomes a second generation. Epaphroditus becomes a second generation uh, leader in the church. Interesting thing is after scripture closes, we never hear another thing about Timothy or Epaphroditus. They disappear into the midst of the midst of history. But God remembered them and God put them in here for examples for us. So we'll look at that next week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the way that your word encourages us and challenges us. And I have to admit, sometimes you, you, you make it really tough for me to, to have my beliefs. I have to end up changing them, I have to end up changing my attitudes because my attitudes are wrong. Sometimes even my belief system is wrong, and I have to conform it to what you reveal to us in your scripture. So thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for continuing to work with each of us. Help us to live out our lives this day in a way that brings honor and glory to you and helps to promote the unity of the church so that the world might see it and believe that you are who you are and who you claim to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.